A notorious late-term abortion clinic in Dallas is closing its doors. We'll discuss how this happens. And the G8 nations have agreed on reducing greenhouse gases, but India won't cooperate. We'll find out why. Plus, we'll report on a new poll that asks the question, would you support a presidential candidate who endorses gay marriage? This is Jerry Johnson live from Crystal College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here is Penna Dexter. You have an obligation, I believe to the future generations to shape the future for our children and for our grandchildren. Because there will be a day when abortion ends in our nation, like every great injustice that has ever happened, it eventually will fall. That's David B. Wright. Uh, He is with the 40 Days for Life campaign. He's speaking to pro-lifers up in the state of North Dakota. But right here in Dallas, the Aaron Women's Health Center, one of three abortion centers authorized to do late-term abortions, has closed. It's closed its doors. Now, how does this happen? Well, it was the uh, really the subject of prayer, the focus of the 40 Days for Life campaign. Now, abortion centers in Kentucky and also New York have been among other uh, closures, really victories of this campaign. And we're going to talk with David B. Wright. He is the National Campaign Director for 40 Days for Life. Here he is again in Fargo, North Dakota, in front of an abortion clinic. You have an obligation, I believe, to the future generations to shape the future for our children and for our grandchildren. Because there will be a day when abortion ends in our nation, like every great injustice that has ever happened, it eventually will fall. When that day happens, they will write about it in the history books. And your children... And your grandchildren will be flipping through those history books at some point in the future. And when they come to the chapter about segregation, and then they flip to the section on slavery, and then they read about the Holocaust, and they read about all tyranny and oppression and all these other evils that have plagued our globe, they're going to get to the chapter about abortion. They're going to read about how more than 50 million innocent children made in the image and the likeness of God were torn apart in their mother's wombs by abortionist knives. And as they read that, they're going to say, how could this have happened in a nation that was founded first and foremost on an inalienable right to what? Life. That was the first right that our founding fathers identified. And it wasn't a right they gave to us. It was a right they identified that was given to us by our Creator. All right, this is a great leader. I uh, watched Amazing Grace over the weekend. We have the DVD at home, and uh, it was just, it struck me again how William Wilberforce was a patient man. 
uh, but he also did not give up on the slave trade in Great Britain. And David B. Wright is one of those folks who is fighting uh, to end abortion in America. He'll join us a little bit later in the program, and we'll look forward to talking about the 40 uh, Days for Life campaign. But also uh, the G8 nations, the developed countries plus Russia, have been meeting this week in Japan. And at the conclusion of the G8 summit, President Bush said some positive steps have uh, been taken in tackling climate change. We made progress, significant progress, uh, toward a, a comprehensive approach. Excuse me, the uh, agreement that was made among these developed nations is uh, to limit CO2, carbon dioxide emissions, 50% globally by 2050. Now, the technology isn't there uh, to do so yet, but President Bush says that money is being targeted for dealing with climate change. The United States, Japan, and United Kingdom launched what's called a Clean Technology Fund. We hope Congress funds that effort. It's a way to help developing nations afford the technology so that they can become good stewards of the environment. Now, folks, the problem with this is that the developing nations like China and India, who who are growing so fast, are polluting at a greater rate uh, than we are, and that England is, and France, and some of the other developed countries. And they don't want to stop their development. They would have to if they were to put a clamp on their emissions. Now, India has stated that they are not buying into this uh, accord. According to a report, India would rather save its people from poverty than global warming. We're going to talk with our environmental expert friend, Mark Morano. He is communications director with the uh, Senate Committee on Environment and Public Works about this because it's very interesting. These nations like China and India are key to being able to uh, meet these targets. And, of course, we'll also talk about just the common sense of whether or not clamping down on CO2 would uh, change anything about the climate. Also, Vice President Cheney, uh, his office is under fire on this whole issue. Apparently, they don't want the Centers for Disease Control to say that global warming causes health problems. You know, so the question is really what's up with all this? Is he really censoring the CDC spokesperson? We're going to ask Mark Morano also about that. And uh, finally, each time a court rules in favor of homosexual unions, either gay marriage or civil unions uh, or domestic partnerships, this question arises, and it's something we really need to discuss as Christians. The question is, will the church or parachurch groups be forced to accommodate these homosexual unions? Will churches uh, be penalized, say, maybe losing their tax-exempt status if they refuse to marry same-sex couples? We're going to discuss that later in the program with Peter Sprigg from the Family Research Council. He's also going to tell us about a survey that they did. The results were released today, and I'll tell you about that in just a moment. But there's also another story in the news. President Bush is very happy because he signed what he calls landmark legislation vital to the nation's security. Here's the report from Washington. At a Rose Garden ceremony, the president said 9-11 taught the government it must keep better tabs on would-be terrorist communications. It's essential that our intelligence community know who our enemies are talking to, what they're saying, and what they're planning. The bill overhauls government eavesdropping rules and gives immunity to telecom companies that help the U.S. spy on Americans in suspected terror cases, a big sticking point in a long battle with the Democratic-led Congress and a big win for a lame-duck president. Sagar Megani, Washington. 
This was a lengthy, heated debate, and this bill was bitterly contested. Everybody had to give up something. It uh, does. Uh, this is the victory for the Bush administration in that it grants immunity to the telecom companies that helped uh, with the wiretapping post 9/11, and uh, you know this is basically the Democrats say spying on Americans. Uh, the New York Times in 2005 released what the Bush administration was doing. There's been a big fight about it ever since. So they've been trying to nail down what the laws are. And uh, Senator Ted Kennedy, of course, after his brain surgery, went back to the Senate to vote on this today. Uh, he was the 60th vote in favor of it. And uh, Obama also went back and voted for it, even though he has said many times that he would vote against the wiretapping bill. This gives the president limited authority to spy on communications of U.S. residents contacting people outside the country. And, of course, this has been a big challenge for Barack Obama. He said he'd filibuster any FISA bill that gave immunity to these telecom companies. But this is another case in which he's had to change, and he's gone ahead and voted for it. And, of course, he's under fire from the Daily Coast and all the liberals who had been supporting him. They're pretty disappointed about this. Well, I want to get back to this issue of uh, same-sex marriage, banning same-sex marriage in various states, and a survey that was done. It was released uh, the results were released today by the Family Research Council. We're going to talk with Peter Sprigg about it later in the program. But it really has to do with what presidential candidates uh, think about states amending their constitutions to say marriages between one man and one woman, because the state of California is looking at doing that. So is the state of Florida, and so is the state of Arizona. And uh, it's become a, an issue in the presidential campaign. So FRC wants to sort of lay out what public opinion is about this. Now, here's John McCain when he was asked uh, what he thinks about California, uh, first of all, legalizing same-sex marriage through the courts. I voted for the Defense of Marriage Act, which clearly indicated the unique status of marriage between man and woman. I will continue to support that. I will continue to have my position. And uh, Barack Obama, after this um, decision was made by the California Supreme Court, was asked what he thought about it. I still think that these are decisions that need to be made uh, at a sto state and local level. Uh, I'm a strong supporter of civil unions. I do believe that marriage is between a man and a woman, but I also think that same-sex partners should be able to visit each other in hospitals. They should be able to transfer property. Does it bother you what California's doing? No. He's been very clear even since that statement was made that he does not think California should uh, amend its constitution to ban same-sex marriage, to define marriage as between one man and one woman. And, you know, so people are asking, well, does that mean he's for same-sex marriage, even though he says he's not for it? That's a question uh, that we could all ponder. But I think the question I'd like to ask you, and you can call in 800-881-9270, is would you vote for a presidential candidate who would allow states or want states to ban same-sex marriage through their constitution? Or would you oppose a candidate for doing that? In other words, do you take the position that John McCain takes – that it's fine for California to go ahead and say marriage is between a man and a woman? Or do you take the position that Barack Obama takes, which is that he would like California to go ahead and uh, allow same-sex marriage to defeat that amendment 
that is going to be before the public in November. So give us a call. Uh, we've got a few minutes before the end of the segment, 800-881-9270. And I kind of brought up also uh, the issue that churches and Christian organizations could be persecuted if gay marriage becomes widespread across the nation, if it becomes the law of the land. Now, Chuck Colson wrote something about this on Breakpoint. He said that if same-sex marriage becomes the law of the land, we can expect massive persecution of the church. And uh, another uh, thinker on this issue, Jennifer Roback Morse, wrote in the National Catholic Register, legalizing same-sex marriage is not a standalone policy, Once governments assert that same-sex unions are the equivalent of marriage, then those governments must defend and enforce a whole host of other social changes. And, of course, these changes uh, also affect other liberties, like our religious freedom and our private property rights. Remember the story, uh, we told you this news story, about a Methodist retreat center that refused to allow uh, two lesbian couples to use its campground pavilion, this was up in New Jersey, for a civil union ceremony. Now, the state of New Jersey punished these Methodists. They revoked their uh, tax-exempt status, and uh, I think that case is in the courts. Uh, and then there's another case. Uh, remember, after the Massachusetts gay marriages started, Catholic charities were ordered to accept homosexual couples as candidates for adoption. They wouldn't do it, so they ended up closing. So there are no Catholic charities adoptions taking place in Massachusetts. Well, let's go to the phones. Jane is in Azel. Jane, thanks for calling in. Thank you for taking my call so much. I just I have a very deep concern that uh, kind of according to the old quote, the only thing that it takes for evil to triumph over good is for good men to do nothing. And I think a lot of times this should be a wake-up call for Christians uh, to be involved and to make sure they know who, uh, what the person they vote for, what they stand for, what they represent, and just the whole idea that same-sex marriages are okay is so anti-biblical, anti-Christian, that I agree 100% there will be persecution if this becomes a culturally accepted norm, and I, I think it behooves us to absolutely get involved at a grassroots level and uh, get involved with people like Alan Keyes, other people that have been uh, so faithful over the years um, uh, to be involved and to help stand up for Christianity. And Hey, and Jane, thanks right. for calling. I couldn't have said it better. That's a great encouragement for folks, first of all, to understand where candidates stand on these issues and then to get involved. Well, next up, David B. Wright will join us. He's going to talk about involvement on the issue of abortion. You don't want to miss it. Stay tuned for more of Jerry Johnson Live. Criswell College is proud to present the new Mac at Night program. It's a Master of Arts in Counseling degree obtained by attending evening block classes. There are licensure and non-licensure options depending on your career goals. Mac at Night features some of the best professors in the field of Christian counseling, and all courses are biblically based. Expand your ministry or prepare for a doctorate. Criswell College makes it simple and convenient. All Mac at Night courses are scheduled with the working professional in mind. If you've got a full-time job, a busy lifestyle, or even raising a family, you're perfect for Mac at Night. Get your Master of Arts in Counseling at Criswell College with Mac at Night. Call 800-899-0012 or go to criswell.edu. That's 800-899-0012 or criswell.edu. 
Invest in God's work and yourself through this convenient program through the Chriswell College. It's Mac at Night. See Chriswell.edu. That's Chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. When we started last year, I remember the committee coming together and I had never really been active in a pro-life activity like this. And the very first time that I stood in front of abortion facility and saw women entering is when it really hit me the purpose of why we are doing this, why we are participating in 40 Days for Life. It is to save lives and it is to change hearts. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. 40 Days for Life is a grassroots effort to end abortion. They've just made a video. That was a soundbite from it. Uh, basically targeting the state of North Dakota. They have one abortion clinic in that state. And, of course, you've seen the efforts to ban abortion uh, in the state of South uh, South Dakota, I guess, North Dakota, South Dakota, we'll ask our guest. But that was Tanya Waterud. She's one of the Fargo campaign team members talking about how she was affected by this experience. Now, uh, the national campaign director of 40 Days for Life is uh, David B. Wright, and there's just a, a great victory locally here that you all need to know about. In the 1980s, there were 13 abortion centers in Dallas. Seven have closed uh, since then, and another one just closed at the end of June. In fact, this clinic, Aaron Women's Health Center, even performed late-term abortions. They were given that right to do so in 2005. They closed their doors, and it's due to the efforts of 40 Days for Life. David B. Wright is a national campaign director. David, thanks for joining me. Oh, Pena, thank you so much for having me on. All right. First of all, how did this happen in Dallas? Who was involved uh, in getting this clinic closed? Well, it's a lot of faithful people over a lot of years, and and while it was certainly significant that 40 Days for Life happened there, a lot of people have been involved in pro-life efforts for a long time there. Essentially, Dallas is very strategic because the second ever 40 Days for Life happened in Dallas following the one that I was a part of in College Station, Texas. And in Dallas, during the winter of 2004, actually going through the Christmas holidays and New Year's into the January 22nd of 2005, people held a -a 24-hour-a-day, 40-day prayer vigil outside of that Aaron's Abortion Center right there off of 635. And in addition to that, they called on the body of Christ to pray and to fast for an end to abortion, and they spread the pro-life message aggressively through community outreach. And we just got word a couple of weeks ago that that abortion facility was closing, and we are so excited to hear that. That's the second abortion center where a 40 Days for Life has been held that is going out of business and is shutting down and many, many other incredible victories have happened across the country. But Dallas has been at the forefront of this effort since it started in 2004, has since conducted another 40 Days for Life campaign last fall, and even as we're speaking right now, there are two huge 40 Days for Life efforts uh, that are gearing up to happen in the Dallas Metroplex this fall. So I'm just thrilled and excited to see what God has in store for the Dallas-Fort Worth area and just throughout the entire nation. Now, one person I want to mention here in Dallas who's been a longtime pro-life activist, uh, I know her, Karen Garnett, and she is with the Catholic Pro-Life Committee, and she was certainly a part of this, wasn't she? 
Well, Karen was the one through the Catholic Pro-Life Committee. They were the ones who spearheaded that first 40 Days for Life in Dallas and the other ones since then. And in fact, I actually just talked to Karen on the phone a few minutes ago before getting on, on your show here. Karen and her faithful people there, Carol Seward, Diane Sutton, um, many others, Marie Wood, they were the ones who really led that effort. And the many faithful people who have been going out and praying and sidewalk counseling at not only Aaron's Abortion Center, but many others. I know this fall they're planning 24-hour vigils for 40 days at the Planned Parenthood facility and then also one at Robinson's. And uh, it, it's going to be amazing. We have seen so many lives saved across the country. And again, all of this began in Texas, and Dallas was the second city, and now this has spread to 139 cities in 43 states and four other countries, and we're gearing up for what's going to be the largest pro-life mobilization in history this coming fall. All right, speaking of other states, I've been talking about North Dakota, and you've got this video out. You can tell folks in a moment how to get a hold of it. But this is standing in front of the uh, North Fargo or Fargo, North Dakota Abortion Clinic, and this is your associate, Sean Carney, addressing the 40 Days team. North Dakota has a unique situation in that closing this clinic forever means making three words that will sing to America one day, abortion-free state. That's the goal, isn't it, David B. Wright? Absolutely. We realize that for too long we've put all our trust in who occupies the White House, who's sitting on the Supreme Court, what's going on in our state legislatures, and really we have to realize where the ultimate strength comes from and where abortion will be ended. With God, all things are possible. And that's why people are being activated or being energized all across the nation in cities and states all over the place right now because they believe that with God all things are possible and they're willing to go and faithfully speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. I really believe, from what I've seen traveling to more than 50 cities over the last eight months, I really believe, Penn, that what we're witnessing right now is the beginning of the end of abortion in America, and I have never been more excited. David, uh, I know back in, say, the 80s, people were uh, picketing abortion clinics. They were stopping women who were going into the clinics and talking to them. Uh, And this kind of activity was squelched by a bill that was passed in Congress, which was the Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances Bill, or the FACE Bill. Mm -hmm. And that was draconian penalties uh, if you're uh, caught uh, basically disobeying the law. Now, how does this affect, or how do you do something different so you're not affected by this bill? Well, one of the things that we do is we do everything peacefully, prayerfully, and lawfully. There are so many things that people of faith and conscience can do within their constitutional rights to speak up for those who can't speak for themselves without blockading clinics, without obstructing the sidewalks. In front of abortion centers, just about everyone has some sort of public access sidewalk area or some sort of a freedom of right of way. Now, as long as you're not obstructing people from going in, so we can certainly pray there, we can certainly demonstrate there, and we can certainly spread the pro-life message through every other means throughout the city of Dallas, throughout Fort Worth, throughout the entire DFW Metroplex. And so that's why this is so powerful. It gives people a voice. It enables them to take a stand and make a difference and save lives without violating any of the existing laws. And yes, they're draconian, but we can work around those and we can still make a difference. Nationally, just in the last eight months, we have confirmed reports of 514 children that have been spared from abortion due to 40 Days for Life efforts. I'm sure there are many more we don't know about. But people can do something. They can put their faith into action, and they can help to save lives right where they live. 
All right, you mentioned that Texas is special, and it certainly is. It's special in a bad way because this is where uh, really the case Roe versus Wade started from. And uh, you have something that's beginning. I guess it's a new campaign in the fall. I think some of our folks might want to get involved in this. How can they do so? Well, the campaign this fall will be held from September 24th to November 2nd. And the significance of that ending date is that is the Sunday before our nation goes to the polls to elect our next national leaders. So that is a crucial time for our nation to come together to pray and fast, to hold peaceful vigils outside of abortion facilities, and to spread the pro-life message. So if people are interested in getting involved, Karen Barnett's organization is helping to coordinate the local Dallas-Fort Worth uh, 40 Days for Life efforts, and they can call the phone number 972-267-LIFE, L-I-F-E, 972-267-LIFE, or they can visit ProLifeDallas.org. And there they can find out about the campaigns that are planned for this fall in the Metroplex area. They can get involved. I know that in the, the spring, I'm sorry, the fall of 2007, they had over 1,900 people involved in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, 40 Days for Life, and they're expecting even bigger things this coming fall. And so I would encourage people to pray, to ask God to show you what you can do to help make a difference, whether it's to take a leadership role, whether it's to volunteer, whether it's to help support this effort from a distance. Call that number, 972-267-LIFE, and find out how you can get involved. I believe we're going to help shape history this coming fall. David, uh, we are also on in other parts of Texas and even southern Oklahoma, so we need to give people uh, information, first of all, about how to access 40 Days for Life. And tell us the significance of 40 Days for Life. Well, okay, for anybody who's outside of the Dallas-Fort Worth area, there's a national website at 40daysforlife.com, and that's the number 40-40daysforlife.com. And in fact, I would really encourage anybody who's listening right now, if God is speaking to your heart about this, to go to that site and look at all the locations that are already interested in doing this. But also on the top of the navigation bar, there's a tab that says blog. And if you click that, you can watch that video that Penna played some excerpts from in North Dakota. That is a compelling piece. It's 39 minutes long. It's absolutely free. And you can get a feel for how this can impact you where you live. So go to 40daysforlife.com, sign up for the email updates, which is how we'll notify you about how you can register your community and get involved. Watch that video on the blog tab, and I believe that you will be inspired, and I think you'll see how this could have a life-saving impact right in your community. Now, it's a spir- there's a spiritual impact, a biblical impact of right. the, this whole vision of 40 Days for Life, isn't there? Yes. Well, 40 days is a tremendously significant time frame scripturally. When we look back over history, God has used 40 days to bring about transformation in the lives of his people and in cultures and nations. You think about the time that Noah spent on the ark, or how long Moses was up on Mount Sinai, or how long our Savior was out in the desert, um, or, or even how long the apostles had with Jesus following his resurrection. When God has transformed people and, and cultures, many times he used the time frame of 40 days. So when we look at our culture and we look at all the challenges, and you were certainly talking about some of the issues with gay marriage, and there are so many issues facing our nation right now, we need transformation. And why don't we align ourselves with the time frame that God has used and do something very, very focused, very intense for 40 days. And during these 40 days this fall, from September 24th through November 2nd, let's pray and fast, let's hold vigils, let's do community outreach, and let's see what God has in store for our nation. David B. Wright, thank you so much for your work, and thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Penn, and God bless you. Okay, the number in Dallas, 972-267-LIFE, or go to prolifedallas.org. And then uh, if you're outside the Metroplex, 40daysforlife.com to find out more about the 40 Days for Life campaign. Now, this is going back to uh, North Dakota. Another Fargo campaign team member, Jody Clemens, herself had an abortion. 
She talks about the healing and love others can find through this ministry. 40 Days for Life can be very healing to a woman who's had an abortion. I personally have had an abortion, and I can speak to that woman um, who is in pain right now, who is suffering, who is looking for healing. People involved in 40 Days for Life are loving, compassionate people who are there to help you. And I would encourage you to go, go to one of those people, get involved. God longs to heal your heart. He longs to heal it. He's waiting for you to run into his arms. So go, get involved in 40 Days for Life, and you will find healing. You will find help that you're looking for. Don't hesitate. Don't hesitate. Just do it. Do it right now. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now, here's Penna Dexter. A clear commitment on the part of the United States to engage in negotiations on a binding treaty with a clear tar- midterm target of 2020 would bring developing countries into the position where they could agree to a long-term global goal. That's Philip Clapp. He's one of those environmentalists. He's a spokesman for the Pew Environment Group, and uh, he says the U.S. is a major key in making a new agreement possible on a climate change pact. You'll notice he said uh, 2020, and uh, there's another date that's being um, really the message being sent out of Japan of 2050. This comes out of the uh, UK Telegraph sitting on their cloud-wreathed Japanese mountaintop. They solemnly agreed that to halt global warming, their countries would aim by 2050 to have their emissions of carbon dioxide. Have, not have, but have, H-A-L-V-E, that's cut by 50%. And uh, the the, uh, Telegraph goes on to say they don't really know what they're promising. And there's three reasons for that. And one reason is that it's it's absurdly ambitious as a target, and it may inflict immeasurable damage on their economies just by trying to do so. This is the absurdity coming out of uh, these international agreements, trying to think that we can change the climate by capping greenhouse gases. With me to discuss this uh, is our friend Mark Morano. He is the Communications Director for the Senate Committee on Environment and Public Works. Mark, thanks for joining me. Hey, thank you. Happy to be here. Okay. One of the things that has to happen if uh, they're to get their goal or even to get anywhere near getting it, and that is, is that the developing countries, five of them, I guess, that we're thinking about right now, India is one of them, China is one of them, they have to agree to reduce their emissions, their energy use, and really their growth, and India is having none of it, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, this is essentially the arrogance of wealthy Western nations attempting to, in some way, down the road or currently, limit the development of poor developing nations. People, There's 1.6 billion people in the world without electricity. Do you think they're worried about their carbon footprint? They're worried about <laughs> you know, high infant mortality, short life expectancy, lack of access to clean water, to medicine, lack of access to any kind of infrastructure. That is the problem plaguing the world today. That's what uh, the Copenhagen Consensus, a uh, scientist named Bjorn Lombard from Denmark, has found. He, he polled Nobel Prize-winning economists, scientists, and global warming just doesn't rank up there as an issue. So instead, you have these, you know, the wealthy Western nations essentially agreeing to agree that down the road they, might, they have a goal and they might try to cut emissions. It's, uh, you know, it's unenforceable. It's just rhetorical. And when they try to do something that's enforceable, like Kyoto, which was ratified not by the U.S., but a lot of the other European nations, including Australia, Russia, and Canada as well, 
uh, they're finding that the countries can't meet the targets. And essentially, it's, it's for finding the U.S. without Kyoto is actually doing better with its emissions than these countries that claim to be following these binding agreements like Kyoto and or the countries that, you know, come out with all these, you know, wouldn't it be nice to do this by 2050, like you just mentioned. Mark, the Australian Herald reported on this, and I thought it was interesting. They said India would rather save its people from poverty than global warming. (laughs) And it also goes on to say that Indian experts went to the trouble to check what the climate is doing and why, and they couldn't really find anything bad in India that was caused by man-made warming. And they can't find it, and that's true. The Indian scientists came out and said that, and actually several other their prominent scientists have come out and said, we need to look into this threadbare, was the actual quote, before we start restricting lifestyles based on this theory, which, by the way, observations aren't holding out at all. I mean, we have, we have now where CO2 has been rising, uh, but temperature cooled from 1940s and 1970s, rose only basically the, until 1998, and now we've been no warming and now recent cooling, uh, one scientist said that the entire global warming fear movement was based on two decades of warming from the late 70s to the late 90s. And now they're sort of, even the New York Times a reporter came out yesterday and admitted that you know, the lack of global warming is going to be a problem for people like Al Gore and, a lot, and the UN IPCC as they try to sell people that were facing a catastrophe. Well, it's kind of hard to do. One scientist actually came out and said up until this year, uh, so far this year, Global temperatures are on par with where they were in 1940. Other scientists have, you know, basically said uh, that we're facing, you know, we haven't had any significant warming since 1995. And now multiple peer-reviewed studies, scientists, including the Astronomy Society of Australia, including a, a study published recently in the journal Science, are all predicting no warming for at least the next couple of decades. All the fear exists in these computer models which forecasting experts say violate the basic principles of forecasting. So they almost have nothing left on which to base alarm, and, that, and that's what we're finding here is the rhetoric of pol- pol- political leaders and environmentalists just turns up as the lack of real-world data, uh, the, the lack of data is, not, the data is not there to support their claims. Okay, the United uh, States Senate actually uh, failed to pass a global warming bill, and of course it had, this had a lot to do with the common sense of your boss, uh, Oklahoma Senator Jim Inhofe. Uh, but when these um, leaders, these world leaders get together, it scares me uh, because they promise these things. Mark, if, if the science isn't there, if we're seeing that global warming isn't really causing problems, uh, there's no proof of that, and the fix is so expensive and would uh, badly affect so many people in a time when economies are struggling anyway. Why are they taking the time to talk about this? Well, here's the interesting thing. If we were, say you believed Al Gore and the United Nations, if we actually believed them, if we were facing a climate emergency, the Kyoto Treaty, the recent Senate bill, the global warming cap-and-trade bill, if those were our solutions, we would all be doomed. The bottom line is the, the bill in the Senate, the Kyoto Protocol, would have no impact on the climate, assuming they're right in the science. So that's their, that's their real problem. It's not as though, oh, if only we had passed this, we would solve the climate crisis. No, if we were facing a crisis, these bills would do utterly nothing. They don't even constitute any action other than rhetorical. And even Senator Boxer at one point said the bill gives us hope in a time of rece- you know, potential recession and high energy prices. At least we have hope. Like, it's just a rhetorical, symbolic effort. And that goes across the board, just like you mentioned the G8, that goes with Kyoto which even if it was fully complied with, which it's not, you wouldn't even have a detectable temperature impact in 50 years, and that's assuming they got the science right. The whole movement in, in, in over two and a half decades has not come up with one viable, quote, solution 
to the so-called uh, climate emergency, climate crisis, and, and that's where I think they're, they're going to. That's where their biggest problem is. Not only is the science collapsing underneath them, but their solutions have never been anything other than big government, more bureaucracy, more spending, more taxes, more regulations for absolutely no climate gain. So Are, that's where the whole movement collapses and falls. It fails right there, those two points. Well, speaking of bureaucracy, the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, is headed toward some regulations that would do what the Senate failed to do in not voting on this. And uh, Dick Cheney's kind of trying to stop this. So now he's getting in trouble because people are saying he's censoring testimony by the Centers for Disease Control. He doesn't want them to say that global warming causes health problems. So tell me what this is all about. All administrations seek to edit testimony of administration officials. This is nothing new. Uh, Atmospheric scientist, NASA scientist Roy Spencer uh, in the 90s was essentially censored by the Clinton administration, recently came out with a study. But guess what? The AP didn't run an exclusive on it like they did the charges against the Bush administration. Uh, We had a guy named Will Hopper during the first Clinton term uh, who was essentially pushed out because he criticized Al Gore on global warming. Uh, you don't hear the media. Again, AP ran an exclusive story on this. This is completely one-sided and utterly a non-issue, as we, as we stated earlier this week. This is a non-issue. It's a media effort. First of all, there's so much information out there. People can make up their own minds. Uh, having a line or two in some kind of testimony and trying to make that a big deal, again, it's done by both. All administrations do this. And uh, uh, the, the other issue here is the, uh, the health risks of global warming when you go through all this. It all exists in computer models. The U.S. government actually released a report showing no severe weather increases, no increase in drought, floods. Nothing's been detected in the last 50 years. However, it has the, the computer model projections of the future all show dire warning. And so people just want to on people. People want to focus on forecasts, not reality, and that's where that's where this whole global warming again collapses. It's so it's all, all on, on computer models. Forecasts, and and yet I'm seeing a story that came out this week: higher CO2 levels may actually be good for plants. <laughs> well, they are good for plants. <laughs> yeah, we're and, having a record number. Yeah. CO2 is, is not. That's the other thing. People think, oh, it's pollution. I don't want to. I don't want to breathe in this goop. Well, CO2 is not goop. First of all, we exhale it from our own mouth. Plants use it. We're finding the greening of the earth now is on is, is record levels because of increased CO2. And people say, oh, well, it's going to cause a catastrophe. No, the bottom line is the more CO2, any warming effect CO2 had, many scientists now say we've already seen the effect, and you can't even distinguish it from natural variability. And it's essentially more CO2 does not equal more warming at this point. Peer-reviewed studies are now coming out showing this, that we've essentially seen all the warming and that more CO2 is going to flatline out in terms of having any kind of warming impact. Interesting. Okay, let's take a quick call. Uh, David is in Kaufman. David, thanks for calling in. You're on with Mark Morano. I just want to say a couple quick things. Leave it up to God. God has taken care of this earth since he made it. He <laughs> will take care of whatever emissions we might let out. The third country is not going to do anything to help this. We're going to spend too much money to do what the government thinks. The original 13 colonies, if you'll read William Federer's book that he read, that he wrote, I'm sorry, in regards to the difference between the church and the state of getting away from the Church of England, we need to get away from, I mean... Hey, David, I've got to jump in. We're up on the end of the segment, but thank you so much for calling in. Uh, really, Mark, it's, it's presumptuous to think that we can change the climate with these rules. It's not that we shouldn't conserve or try to protect the environment in common sense ways. We should do that, shouldn't we? 
Absolutely. In, in fact, he was going to, you know, the, the whole point of this, and if you go back to what Jacques Dirac said of the Kyoto Protocol, he said it was the first step to authentic global governance. And I was at the UN conference in Bali, Indonesia, a great UN party, by the way, last December, and they had a whole uh, discussion about a global carbon tax. So you start to see Ugh, other motives scary. here other than saving the planet. It's all about, you know, a, a world vision and an ideology. Mark Morano, thank you so much for joining us and for the, all the good work you do. We'll uh, talk to you again soon. Thank you very much. Enjoy it. Next up, Peter Sprigg from Family Research Council is going to talk to us about a new poll uh, just announced. The results were announced today at FRC in D.C. He'll tell us about it next on Jerry Johnson Live. I've got a full-time job and a family, and I'm also getting a master's degree at Criswell College. The new Mac at Night program offers evening block courses for a Master of Arts in Counseling degree. It's so convenient and fits my busy lifestyle as a mom and a professional. Mac at Night offers licensure and non-licensure programs so you can gain ministry knowledge and even prepare for a doctorate. Mac at Night professors are at the top of the Christian counseling field. And Criswell College is partnered with a number of ministries, so you'll get experience and great contacts. My friends and family are so excited to see me back in school with the Mac at Night program at Criswell College. A Master of Arts in Counseling has never been so convenient. Come on, join me for Mac at Night. For more details, call 800-899-0012 or visit criswell.edu. Invest in God's kingdom and in yourself through the Chriswell College. See us on the web at chriswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. Well, my thoughts are that I think that people should be able to enter into legal agreements, and I think that that is something that we should encourage, particularly in the case of insurance and other areas, uh, decisions that have to be made. Uh, I just believe in the unique status of marriage between man and woman, and I know that we have a respectful disagreement on that issue. That's John McCain talking with Ellen DeGeneres, and uh, he's voicing his position on same-sex marriage and same-sex unions. He's against same-sex marriage. He thinks marriage is between a man and a woman, but he thinks the unions are okay. And uh, the Family Research Council, one of my favorite organizations in Washington, D.C., released a, a poll today. They did actually a survey on the political impact of what we're calling marriage protection amendments on the November ballot in the states of California, Florida, and Arizona. Remember, in those states, voters get to decide whether or how they're going to define marriage, and they're going to put it in their state constitutions. It's very important in California, since the Supreme Court there has said uh, gay marriage is legal. With us to discuss this is uh, one of our favorites from FRC, Peter Sprigg. Peter, thanks for joining me. Well, thank you, Penna. It's great to be with you again. Well, I might mention, first of all, ladies and gentlemen, that there's a great radio program on KCBI on Saturdays at noon. Tony Perkins, FRC president, is the host. It's called Washington Watch Weekly. And uh, it's not just this issue. It's just every issue, uh, family issue, that uh, is being dealt with in D.C. FRC has got a position on, and you can hear all of that on Saturdays at noon. But, Peter, uh, tell me about, I know that you had, like, an event today where you released the results of these of this poll. So tell us about the poll and what were the results. 
Right. Well, um, the poll was uh, actually a single question that we uh, we uh, added. You know, we paid to have a pollster add that to one of their general surveys, and um, it said, as you may know, a number of uh, states are considering uh, amendments to their state constitutions to define marriage as the union of a man and a woman. Um, if uh, if a presidential candidate um, were to endorse those state marriage amendments, would that make you more likely or less likely to support that candidate? And the results nationwide were that uh, 58% said it would make them more likely, and only 29% said that they would be less likely to support a candidate who supported state marriage amendments. So politically, it's a winning position. Absolutely. A two-to-one margin. There are very few issues on which... um, you will, uh, you know, find uh, a two-to-one margin like that um, of support. And if you take the ones who who believe it strongly, the margin is even greater. I believe it was 49% to 20% uh, that that it would make them, 49% said it would make them much more likely to support a candidate, and only 20% said it would make them much less likely. I wonder if Barack Obama's listening. Well, you know, this is the thing, because you, you, uh, um, you played that clip from John McCain, who has endorsed the uh, California Amendment, albeit very um, tepidly. Right. <laughs> and um, Barack Obama, on the other hand, has come out with a very sweeping statements saying that he would oppose any state constitutional amendments, and, and um, as well as a federal marriage protection amendment. Um, so it, it's interesting because, to me because there have been a number of stories just in the last couple of weeks about Barack Obama moving to the center uh, or, or towards the right from his initial position. Not on this one. Uh, but on this one, he's doing exactly the opposite. If anything, he's moving to the left. Because it's ironic that uh, Obama has said on occasion that he does not support same-sex marriage. He strongly supports civil unions, however, which would give all the rights and benefits of marriage. But um, his, his non-support of same-sex marriage has no evidence in terms of his record. I mean, he, he's mm-hmm. never articulated a single way that he, would, that he would be in favor of to prevent same-sex marriage. So, <laughs> It's amazing. Um, well, what about McCain? Because, you know, he's strongly says that he's for marriage between a man and a woman. And then when he's asked about these other sort of arrangements, I'm not sure exactly where he is. I mean, he says you could have an agreement. Does he mean civil unions? Does he mean states should do what they want on that issue? Well, I agree with you. I thought that that clip that you played, what he said was somewhat ambiguous because um, even even I would say that... Um, uh, same-sex couples have certain rights to uh, protect their own financial interests through private contractual arrangements, um, as, as any person has. But uh, I would, we at FRC do not support any, uh, any type of arrangement, domestic, whether you call it domestic partnership or civil unions, which would in any way treat um, a homosexual union as being the equivalent to marriage. Um, and, and give sort of a, a package of benefits by virtue of comparing it to marriage. Uh, we don't consider it comparable to marriage. So, if, for instance, in Vermont or California, some states require it. Uh, in, in Texas, for instance, when uh, they passed the constitutional amendment here um, saying that marriage is between a man and a woman, it also stopped 
uh, civil unions. It basically banned those, too. Right. There are the the uh, 26 states that have already passed uh, marriage amendments uh, vary in terms of the language, and some of them, what I call the strong amendments, um, uh, would uh, are written in a way as to preclude domestic partnership uh, or or civil unions as well, um, but uh, others simply define the word marriage. the The interesting thing in the California situation is that they already had a very um, expansive. Uh, they call it domestic partnership, uh, but it's essentially the same as a civil union. gets gives virtually all the uh, legal rights and benefits of marriage to same sex couples. So the significance of uh, changing the definition of the word marriage is purely symbolic in California, and yet, um, so you you would think that Barack Obama, who says he's for civil unions but uh, but against same-sex marriage, that he would condemn the the California Supreme Court ruling because the status quo was these domestic partnerships, which are essentially civil unions. That you think he would prefer the status quo and oppose the Supreme Court ruling, but instead uh, he didn't say that. He said we should uh, we should respect the Supreme Court ruling, this legislating from the bench. The status quo is what he says he believes, but he is supporting California. Actually, he's against California uh, doing something to really shore up marriage. Exactly. <laughs> well, Peter, thank you so much for the work you do there at the Family Research Council. I wanted to get uh, with you, and we don't have enough time, uh, with uh, what your speakers today talked about, because I know that when same-sex marriage or even civil unions, these homosexual rights uh, become enmeshed in the culture, then religious people begin to lose their rights, and uh, that's next. And right. you, your, your speakers made that point, but uh, <laughs> we don't have time to go into it now, so we're okay, going to have to have you back. Another day. <laughs> All right, Peter. The Peter Sprigg Family Research Council, thank you so much uh, for uh, being with me today and for the work that you all do there in the nation's capital. Thank you, Penna. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, thank you so much for joining me today. Some very important issues on the table. We tried to catch you up a little bit on the news. Tomorrow, Dr. Barry Creamer will be with you again, and uh, he'll have another wonderful interactive show. So join us then. You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.